everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. So we are in a series called Happy Together, and it is about the health or flourishing of being in community, that thing that happens between us. It's not to say that we're always happy together, but we're trying to set up patterns or give vision around what it might look like to be truly happy together as a church, but also as people who are married as people who are in families, uh, as people who work together. So last week, actually not last week, because I was in Delaware preaching at the City Light Vineyard last week. Two weeks ago, I left you with a cliffhanger. Do you remember that? I only got through four of my five points. So I'm going to reread from John 15, and Jesus here is talking about, I think, what is the most important thing for humans, and that is friendship. And so in John 15, Jesus says to a few of his closest friends, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Right? Around here we say that we love like Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. So there are five foundational principles, core ingredients, maybe you would say, of friendship that Jesus speaks to in this short, rich, amazing passage. The first is that in friendship we need to abide. That's kind of a funny word uh, that comes through in some of the Bible translations, but he talks about remaining or sticking together. For us today, it means uh, when we have conflict, instead of moving away from each other, moving toward each other. But also, because we're in a world that's so busy and so saturated with stuff all the time, it means that we need to find ways to connect. If we don't prioritize friendship, we'll go weeks and months, and before you know it, a year before we've related to or invested in the friendships that are most important to us and most dear. The second thing he says, right, is to confide. He says, I confide in you. That's what makes you friends. And I talked about two weeks ago how if you imagine your life to be a deck of cards, you know, we all have things in our life that we're proud of and maybe some things that we're not so proud of. Um, We all have face cards, and these face cards are usually what we lead with. That's true in cards, but it's true in life as well. I didn't get a great deal here. Uh, but So I don't have any aces in my life, but I have a king, and so the king might be, you know, I went and I served orphans in Uganda for a summer, right? Pretty impressive. I did that when I just started to date my now wife, and uh, it worked. 
She was very impressed by that. Uh, I have a jack of spades here. You know, that's still pretty good. Like, uh, I have a really beautiful daughter, right? That, that counts for something, right? Okay, I might show you pictures of her. The reality is, though, each of us also have cards that are not face cards, that we would prefer to stay hidden. But if you want true, meaningful, deep friendship, you have to be willing to show yourself So I'm not using personal examples here, but maybe you have a four of clubs in your life. Maybe there are times where you lose your temper and you go into a rage and you say mean things that are hurtful to the people you love. Uh, Maybe there's a three of spades in your life. Maybe you have a porn addiction and you're not proud of it, but you can't stop. These aren't things that you share with everybody. It's not people that you would share with a room this size, but you need to have intimate friends like Jesus had his three closest disciples. And you need to have close friends like Jesus had his 12 disciples and a handful of women. They were the people who, when after Jesus died, if they were asked, hey, what what was Jesus really like? They could give the answer. You need people that know everything that's in your hand. And this is risky, and this is vulnerable. Because sometimes people will take that three of spades, and they'll show it to the group. Sometimes you'll share a piece of like news, and instead of someone treating that news like it's your news, they take that news, and they share your news with everybody that they know. And that hurts. But it's worth the risk to be known, to have true friends. Jesus says, thirdly, that friendships are to be enjoyed. Jesus talks about his joy that he has with God that he wants you to have as you relate to each other. Like friendships are meant to be enjoyed. And so if you're not enjoying your friends, and if you're you're married, if you're not enjoying your spouse, it's time to press pause and say, like, what's gone haywire with this friendship? How can we start to enjoy each other once again? Number four, Jesus says, there is no greater love than this if somebody lays down their life for their friends. And as I said, I I think for some of us, we just need to work on laying down our phones. But what are you willing to sacrifice for friendship? Are you willing to lay down your checklist? Are you willing to let people into a house that's a little messy? Are you willing to give time to friends instead of give time to working toward that promotion? And number five, Jesus makes a contrast between being a person who relates as a friend and being a person who relates as a servant or as a master. And in this, I think he is asking us to give up control. In other words, if you are a friend or if you are a spouse that is trying to be a master or to control your friends, this is actually working against your friendship. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a controlling person and what it might mean to kind of break through that. And this is where it gets real, right? So the first four are kind of like, oh, yeah, this sounds great. But that, 
That fifth one, the, the giving up control, gets at something that is, um, it, it's not pretty. It's maybe an uglier side of ourselves. But here, here's, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't actually need anything from you, but he wants something for you. He wants you to be free from these negative and destructive behaviors. Jesus is not all that into behavior management. He's after something much, much deeper, and that is a renovation of each of our hearts. So C.S. Lewis, who is perhaps the most famous Christian author, at least in the English-speaking world of the 20th century, says this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there. Running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace and he intends to come and live it, live in it himself. So here's what I'm saying. Remodeling your heart will hurt. I've been in the middle of major remodels in my house. The finished product is great, but the process is painful. It's messy. Things get exposed. It takes time if you're doing something deep. It gets dusty. And it, it, makes, it just adds a little bit of pressure to your whole life. Now, of course, we're in a remodel here, so I'm going to use that as a metaphor very fittingly. Right? Like, it was a mess here on Friday. The chairs were stacked. There was steel beams on the floor, steel studs. There, I mean, the carpet wasn't put together. I don't think the stage was even put until, what, Thursday? And we've still got things that are exposed. And this project is going to take another three or four weeks. Here's, here's the thing about your life. It's going to take longer than three or four weeks. If you have a control issue, this is going to be a month-long year-long, perhaps lifelong journey for God to do something that is not simply putting new paint on the wall. We're talking about rebuilding the foundation. Some of you have ways of being that have stood for the last 10 years, like these walls. This wall's coming down today. That one right there. But you've had ways of beings that have worked for you for the last 10 years. I'm, I'm 35. I've had ways of being that have worked for me for the last 25 years. Some of you are older than I am. You've had ways of being. You've been a controlling person, and it's worked okay for you. But if you want to start working on like that impulse you have to control other people, which I think we all have at some level or another, it's going to take a deep work and it's going to be messy, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to take time, just like C.S. Lewis talked about. It will hurt. So let's jump over now where Jesus talks a little bit more about this control thing in Mark chapter 10. And what happens in Mark chapter 10 is really interesting. So two of Jesus' actually closest disciples, 
Two of his closest friends come to him, and they say something uh, that's a bit of a trap, I suppose. They say, hey, Jesus, we'd like you to give us anything we ask for. Has anybody ever come uh, with you with a request like that? Now, Jesus is a, he's a wise person, so he doesn't say yes or no. He says, tell me what it is that you want, right? Smart. In a different gospel, it's actually uh, James and somebody, is it John, James and John? His mom comes. Now, that's really messed up, right? But, uh, you know, if somebody's mom says, and, hey, says, hey, my, my kids want something, you know, that, I guess that happens in, to college professors these days, but it's not like a healthy thing that mom goes to college professor. Anyway, uh, Jesus says, what do you want? And the disciples say, we would like to be on your left and your right side in your moment of glory. Now, for in a traditional kingdom, this is a place of honor, right? This is a place of power. These guys are looking for recognition. But when Jesus hears glory, he is thinking about a moment that is coming where he hangs on a cross. And so when Jesus says, that's not for you to decide, and you don't even know what you're asking... He's talking about the people who are hanging and dying to the left and to the right of him as he hangs on the cross. And Jesus actually does say, you know, you're going to walk my path and you will suffer and you will die. Uh, he, he uses a metaphor for that. He says, you're going to drink my cup. But then uh, he says to the whole group of disciples, because they get a little upset about this request from James and John. Jesus calls them together, and this is where we'll read from Mark 10. He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave or servant of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others and to give his life for many. Jesus is saying something here about power and influence that runs contrary to the way that it works in the rest of the world. It runs contrary to the way it works in our governments, in our families, in our places of work. He's saying the way it works out there is when you've got power, you get people to do things. And you use that power to exert control, to dominate other people, to use them in ways that accomplish your goals. And Jesus says it's not going to be that way with you. People who I call friends will use their power and their influence differently. My kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom. I will use my power, and you will use your power, not to control, but to what? To serve. To take a position of humility. Now, it gets even more pointed here, because at the end, Jesus says, I, did you catch this? The Son of Man, he's talking about himself, kind of a technical term to describe like his his power and glory, his kingship, I, the son of man, will give my life as a ransom. This cuts through it because for a king, a ransom gets paid to get back something that was taken from him. 
The king uses his wealth to get what he wants. And in Jesus' kingdom, to love like Jesus, to be like Jesus, Jesus says, I will give myself so that you can have my wealth, so that you can have what I have. I'm not going to use my wealth and power to gain things for myself. I'm going to give myself so that you might receive my very spirit, that you might receive my friendship, so that you might be restored, so that you might be remodeled. So let's talk about uh, what it means to be a controlling person here. And, And let's first actually think about a time that you have felt controlled by someone else. Can you do that a second? Think of a time that you felt controlled. And I don't want you to think so much about the person. That's not the point. I want you to think about how it felt. Not good, right? Maybe you were feeling fear. Maybe you were afraid of the person. Maybe you were feeling anger. Maybe you were feeling pressure. Maybe you were feeling criticized. But whatever it is, and this is the point I want to make, whatever it is, it was not a move toward relationship, right? What happened in their attempt to control you was a breaking apart of the relationship, even if they had good intentions, right? I want you to hear, you can be a controlling person with good intentions. Maybe they were trying to help, but if you felt controlled, what was happening? The relationship was, in some ways, being fractured or broken apart. Now, here's where it gets personal or real. I'm going to put up five things, and I want us to kind of examine our own hearts and ask ourselves, can I be a controlling person? And I think... The answer is, for everyone in this room, sometimes yes. Maybe more often than I'd care to admit. Now, as, you, as we go through this list, you're going to be thinking, oh yeah, I'm married to a controlling person. Oh yeah, I work for a controlling person. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> we are asking ourselves these... See the I statements? We're not, not, not talking about me No, I mean, this is, this is actually me, and it's us, and it's you, okay? So, am I a person who gives unsolicited advice? Do I tend to manipulate people through blame, or shame, or anger? Let me explain the blame thing. Okay, so I know a guy, and it's always somebody else's fault. Do you know anybody like this? Um, It's the president's fault. It's my family's fault. It's my coworker's fault. It's the system. Whatever it is, he, like, he plays the victim. It doesn't matter the circumstance. Now, I'm not, like, there is such a thing as a victim, and I'm not promoting like, a sense of helpness, helplessness. But if you find yourself that it's always somebody else's fault, you're, you might be using that actually to control others. So the, the person that I know, he uses this victim card all the time, and what happens is then, right, he, people feel sorry for him, and uh, then he gets his way. 
Shame is a common one. Uh, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Anger, you probably know someone who uses anger to control a group. Uh, someone who gets their way simply because no one wants to provoke them. Someone who's, who causes the rest of the room to walk on eggshells around them. And so now let me kind of put it on ourselves again. When you don't get your way, number three, when you don't get your way, what's your emotional response? What do you do? How do you feel? But if you are someone who gets your way most of the time, it's worth giving pause and asking yourself, why? Am I a bully in my marriage or in my friendships? Number four, I judge or criticize other people's choices. Number five, I often feel defensive. You might be feeling defensive right now. <laughs> Think about it. There is, a, there is a personality that it doesn't matter what's being said, there is a pushback. And I, again, I'm, I'm not saying you should take everything that's said as truth. But, as I said, some people, I have this in myself, okay? Whatever is being said, I am going to push against it. If something is said on Facebook, I can't resist. If somebody makes a point, I will make a counterpoint. And I use that as a defensive shield to press or push people. Uh, this happens actually a little bit uh, in horses, right? So there's, a, there's something called a bit and a bridle, and that goes into their mouth. And this is how some of us control others, right? We just put a little pressure on where we want them to go, right? But still the idea is we're trying to make them make the choices that we would make. And so we put a little pressure. Some of, us, some of us have stirrups. I don't think that stirrups really get used anymore, but stirrups are those like sharp, pointy things. And, and when you don't get your way, then you really give them a, give them a kick, right? If, if, they don't, if they don't respond to the bridle or the bitten bridle, then, then, it, then you can escalate it, and then you, then you get your way. You'll find a way to get your way, right? You're trying to control someone else through applying pressure, through giving that unsolicited advice through shaming or through anger or through blaming. Here's one of the really tough things about being a controlling person. is probably most people are aware of it, but you are not aware of it. It's like if you had cream cheese on your cheek. Everyone else would see it, and you would be oblivious until one of two things happened. You held up a mirror... Or two, someone told you about it. But if you're a controlling person, you probably haven't heard it from anyone else. And it's really tough to hold up a mirror on this. Am I right? But you probably haven't heard it from someone else because, well, maybe, maybe your friends are really nice and they don't want to hurt you. Or maybe your friends are probably nice. Let's just say that they're nice. <laughs> and they don't want to hurt you. And or maybe... They don't want to tell you because they're afraid of how you're going to react. I'm asking each of us to consider whether or not we are a controlling person. Do we put pressure on people to make choices?
as if we were making those choices. How do we break free of this? There is a, a pattern that emerges in the Bible uh, in regards to sin. And I think this fits the category. Um, it always starts with admission, or we might say awareness. Part of that awareness or admission is realizing why we do things. It's like actually saying, yeah, okay, I am a controlling person, but, but also why am I a controlling person? Because as I talked to some people that I trust in this, they, they all said the same thing. They said the thing is that our need to control is a symptom of something else that's going on inside of us. Uh, it might be a symptom of fear. So in response to a situation that you feel is getting out of control, right, you will use your power to take back control because you're afraid of where this might be going. You're afraid you might not get your way. You're afraid it might not be done right. And by right, you mean your way. It might be just, like I said, a personality. Maybe you're, maybe you're a perfectionist. Maybe, maybe you're just this or just that. I, 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 there's, there's different things that might be at the root of this. And maybe it's worth just taking five seconds to ask God, God, why am I sometimes a controlling person? So just pray that in your heart right now and see what comes up. Again, it might be because I just want to help people. But you can be a controlling person and want to help people. So what's number two? Number two is to confess. A confession starts with the words, I am sorry. And I think the first confession we make is a confession to God, like, hey, God, I did this. And I've been, I've been practicing this next part, though. There, there's something powerful, if not vulnerable and scary, uh, and it feels awkward for me. It turns out it doesn't feel awkward for other people that I've hurt. But if I just say, hey, I'm sorry, I got defensive there. Or I'm sorry, I was, I was being a jerk there. Like to go to the person that you've been controlling and, and say, I'm sorry, I, I know that I pushed pretty hard in that situation to get my way. Number three, ask for help. I, I'm not a believer in self-help or in just try harder and then you will have the life you want. And I think there's incredible value in asking other people to help you with this. Like, hey, I'm trying to work on something in my life. Could you just be a little bit sensitive and somehow in a way that I can hear it give me feedback when I get a little controlling? Could you help me? But I actually, at, at the end of the day, uh, you can change no one but yourself. And there's one exception to that. God can change you. And I think often it's kind of a collaborative thing. It's like the serenity prayer that is often said in, uh, in AA meetings, right? Like God, um, uh-oh, my mind just went blank. <laughs> Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things, things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, here's the wisdom. You can't change other people. <laughs> That's my point. Here's the wisdom. You can't change other people. You can change yourself, and you can ask God to come in 
and help you with that change. And this is a process, as I said. So I have a little girl. She's beautiful. She's at that stage. Some of you have kids, too. They will hand you things. You, you remember this stage, some of you? Some of you are in this stage. They'll hand you things. Isla, uh, I guess she's a controlling person. She gets her way. And she's, she's not quick to, uh, to give up control because she will offer it, but then she won't let go. I don't know if that's normal or not. It might just be a, a product of her, like, strong will. Okay, well then, okay, I've seen babies that are a little bit older. What happens next is they hand the thing, and you take it, and then what happens? They want it right back. You know the point that I'm making. This is how it's going to work as you try to give up control. Because you like getting your way. I do too. And at first you'll say, I want to give up control, but you won't actually. And then you'll say, or you'll, you'll be a little more successful. I gave up control. I want it back. And this is the process. I want to read a little book that uh, I read to Isla, my daughter. And I think this gives the positive vision for what we're trying to do here. Because it roots back into how we love each other. And it reflects how God loves us. So as I read this, think about two levels. Think about, wow, this is how God loves me, first of all. And second of all, think about, okay, how can I love people this way? So I love you through and through. So I love you through and through. I love your top side. I love your bottom side. I love your inside. I love your outside. I love your happy side. And your sad side. I love your silly side. I love your mad side. I love your fingers and toes, your ears and your nose. I love your hair and eyes, your giggles and cries. I love you running and I love you walking, silent and talking. I love you through and through. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, too. You know what? Two lines are my favorite in that book. Three lines. I love your sad side. I love your mad side. Because if you're really going to love a person... You're going to love them as they are. Kings and twos. You're going to love them as they are. Their sad side and their mad side. You're going to love them as they are, not as you wish they would be. And I believe that is deeply transformative. I believe that is what we all need and want. And I think this is what God is inviting us to give to each other. I think that's what the church is for. So I want to invite you to stand. The worship team is coming up. And we'll just settle in. We're going to invite God to do some remodeling.
in our hearts. So Jesus, send your spirit to move among us. We open up our hearts, every part, our strength and our weakness, our joy and our anger, our peace and our sadness. Come in. Make us whole. Help us to love more like you, and in particular, help us to give up control. We love you, God. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.